Good morning. How am I doing in the back? Can you hear me? Okay, good. Um, it's really great to be with you all outside today. Every morning I'm praying that we get to have chapel outside. Um, and I think the longer that I'm here, the more I'm just so grateful for our campus. This is a beautiful place to sit outside and to take a, a, a few moments in our day to pause and spend time together in community, listening and studying God's word. Um, so I'm just really grateful to be here with you. So one of the bright spots for my family and I during the pandemic um, was that Disney Plus was a thing. Anybody else? Disney Plus, yes. Okay, and the other great thing was that Frozen 2 became available sooner than they originally planned. Any Frozen 2 fans out there? Okay, so if you haven't seen Frozen 2, you really should see Frozen 2. It's an excellent movie. The music is wonderful, and there are many great Olaf moments in Frozen 2. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you obviously don't live with elementary age kids, but that's okay. Um, anyway, apart from those things I just mentioned, Frozen 2 has, it's been surprising to me how appropriate Frozen 2 has been for 2020. <laughs> because um, at one point, Elsa sings about going into the unknown, right? It's a great song. And then at one point, Anna talks about just doing the next right thing. And then there's a point in the movie where Olaf says that water has memory. And I won't tell you uh, what happens with that because it's sort of an important part of the movie and I don't want to have a spoiler alert here, but it got me thinking. I was like, water has memory, that's very intriguing. And so I, did, I started doing some research and I found this really interesting article actually that talks about how our tears, if you capture them under a microscope, um, they have different structures based on the reason for crying. So for example, if you peel an onion, um, the tears that you cry when you peel an onion, it looks really different under close examination than the tears you cry when you're sad or when you're happy even. Um, and according to some studies, these emotional tears have been found to actually contain natural painkillers that, that are released when your body is under stress. So it turns out that crying is actually good for you um, and that capturing these tears as images seems to sort of indicate that maybe water does have memory. And for me, probably like for many of you, this year so far has been a year of more tears than normal. If you could analyze my tears under a microscope, you would see tears of disappointment, frustration, weariness, tears of laughter, loss, anger, surprising joy and relief. My tears have run the gamut the last six months. I've had sweet time with my kids and we have laughed a lot. But I've also cried because of the isolation and loneliness and disappointment that came with being stuck at home. I have cried because of the injustice and the quarreling and the disunity that's hitting our nation and our churches. My heart feels heavy whenever I read the news because sometimes it seems like the darkness is winning. If it's not another shooting, it's a, it's a hurricane. If it's not COVID, it's cancer. If it's not broken relationships, it's broken systems. And then we have our own often hidden battles against addiction and anxiety and chronic pain and loneliness. And no one is immune. There's been lots of tears. 
As one sister theologian put it, we may be people who mourn with hope, but we still mourn. So what do we do with this? Because here's the thing, I have to get up every morning and get my kids ready for school, and then I have to get to work, and I have to buy groceries, and I have to pay the bills. You still have to go to classes, and you have to learn, and you have to write papers, and you have to work. Our tears and our hurt don't give us a free pass to check out and wait for everything to blow over. Nor does the brokenness of this world allow us to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. So how should we go about normal, everyday activities when darkness seems to be winning? When things seem heavy and sad, or when it feels like life is kicking you when you're already down, how do you get up? How do you find reprieve in a season of sorrow? What is a faithful response? Now, just a quick disclaimer. This is not a talk about resilience and grit. And I have thoughts about those things, so if you want to talk about those, we can another time. This is a talk about how our tears and our memory work together to bring us hope. And we see this idea of our tears and our memory in Psalm 126. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to Psalm 126 as I read it. Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our, fo our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come, come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. I love the Psalms because they give us permission to feel our emotions and all their raw enormity. And not only do they give us permission, but they actually invite us to talk to God about how we're feeling. When I don't feel like reading God's word or when I can't sort out my emotions, I often turn to the Psalms. Um, I appreciate the way that it articulates human experience and how it uses word pictures to help us understand what we're feeling. But they also always point us to God and to what is true about Him. And what's funny is that as we meditate and read them and even commit them to memory, they start to change us from the inside out. So Psalm 126 is part of a collection of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. And they are known as the Psalms of Ascent because they were meant to be sung by God's people as they kind of climbed up this hill towards the temple, um, as they went to celebrate feasts a couple times a year. They are pilgrim psalms. Um, they are songs to prepare the people of God for worship at the temple. This particular psalm is a community psalm of lament. But look with me in verses 1 and 2. It actually starts with a story, with a narrative. In verses 1 and 2, the psalmist remembers a time when God's deliverance was so great and so astonishing that it almost felt like it couldn't be real. It was like the best dream come true. Perhaps this, this psalm is recalling um, when the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt and how God brought them out of that. Or some commentators think maybe it was even about the exile, the return from exile. But either way, when the people remember God's faithfulness to them, his mighty hand and his marvelous deeds, 
They can't help but smile. They can't help but laugh and sing and tell everyone what God has done for them. Verse 3 is almost a song in, it, in its expression. Actually, there's a song about this verse. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. And what's cool is that when God's people experience such unequivocal gladness and joy, it is a witness to a watching world. Israel was called to be God's living testimony to the nations. And when he does great deeds for them, this was a way for them to witness to the nations. And so it is with us. The beauty, weight, and importance of sharing our stories is that when we share how God has rescued us and or answered our prayer or brought us out of a dark place, when he's met us in our need, we encourage and bolster others when we tell our story. We bear witness to the greatness of God, and as a result, his name goes out among all the nations so that they too can cry out, the Lord has done great things for us. There's power in remembering God's work in our lives. So, pause for just a second and dig deep with me. When was the last time God stepped in and restored and rescued you? And I'm not just referring to your conversion, although that's worth considering. Think more recently. How has God rescued you? How has he cared for you? Was it a direct answer to prayer? Maybe he sent you a friend when you needed it most or comforted you in tangible ways through the kindness of others. Did he provide for your physical or financial needs? Did he heal you? Did he meet you in your pain with his comfort and his peace? Did he give you courage or perseverance? Perhaps God's rescue and restoration came in the form of conviction and repentance or even maybe severe mercies. But take a second to remember those moments, maybe even write them down somewhere. And then let the goodness and the mercy of the Lord soak in to all the nooks and crannies of your heart. And then maybe, like maybe, just maybe, um, we will stop and notice the joy and gladness that's starting to kind of bubble over. Because when we really stop to recall God's goodness and kindness like the psalmist, we realize that our only response is shouts of joy, or at least it should be. But notice too that this story in Psalm 126 is in the past tense. The first part of this psalm is remembering their history. It's reminiscing about something that happened to them long ago. But it seems that for some reason the current experiences of these pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem is actually quite contrary to what they remember. Look with me in verse 4. We see a prayer here. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. This prayer echoes the words in verse 1, right? Fortunes of Zion. We see that in verse 1. And it is clear that the present situation leads God's people to pray for mercy once again. What was once a proclamation of joy is now a sifle prayer. They're asking God to step in in the way he did previously to demonstrate his mighty deeds on their behalf to rescue them and restore them like he did many times before. The psalmist uses the imagery of the Negev, which was a, dr a really dry and arid land um, in Israel. And the prayer here, the idea behind it is that God would intervene suddenly and decisively, just like the dramatic transformation of an arid, dry riverbed 
into a rushing torrent after a really hard rain. Wouldn't that be nice if that's how God always rescued us or always intervened? Wouldn't it be nice if when we prayed, God swept in like a heavy rain overflowing the banks of a dry riverbed? And you know, sometimes he does work this way and maybe we should pray more that he would act that way. But I think the next word picture seems to fit with our human experience a little bit more. It's the, the word imagery of farming. I grew up in Kansas. Um, I, didn't, I didn't live on a farm myself, but I was surrounded by farmland. And, um, and some of my rhythms were influenced by, by harvest time. Uh, I, knew who, I knew friends who would watch the weather and um, pray for rain in the spring and summer and pray against hail. Um, I remember friends checking their crops for maturity and hoping, that, hoping for signs of a good crop. They would be ready to fight against the bugs and the pests that came. And, I, and what I did notice and observe is that farming is very hard, slow, and intentional work. You never can plant a seed and then watch a full plant emerge the next day. It doesn't work that way. In fact, so much good work in farming happens underneath it all, where you can't see it. As the seed dies, the roots grow until finally, one day, after waiting, a little seedling pops up. Notice in verse 5 that the psalmist prays for God's mercy, but it's with the understanding that sometimes God's rescue is slow. Like planting and then harvest, it's slow growth, a slow journey of faith, a long obedience in the same direction. And these two images of a flash flood and a farming are, are striking but complementary. The first is a sudden, sheer gift from heaven. The agricultural image is slow and arduous. And note, too, that the farming imagery requires participation on the part of the farmer. The flash flood is an overwhelming gift of providence, but planting seeds is an active act of faith on the part of the farmer. There is an important detail here, though. The sowing the psalmist talks about is sowing with tears. It's working as we weep and laboring as we lament. The psalmist is suggesting that faithfulness and meaningful kingdom work happens not only in the absence of tears, but actually often through and during our seasons of weeping. We don't have to get it together before we can be useful in God's kingdom. We don't have to know all the answers in order to obey. We can keep crying and working at the same time. We can feel sad and feel God's presence simultaneously. We can sow weeping. Sometimes as Christians, I think we are tempted to, to think of um, negative emotions as signs of spiritual failure. Like if you are grieving or sad or just feel kind of blah, then you are failing to rest in God's good plan for your life. But this Psalm and others seem to indicate that engaging with those emotions is not only a good thing to do, but a godly thing to do. The key is how we engage them. And I don't know where all of you are, but I do know that some of you already feel like it should be about the middle of the semester, not just the second week of school. There's already sort of an underlying level of fatigue. And I also know that as we look around, we see that there are many, many things to feel sad about. Nowhere in scripture are we encouraged to either dramatize or deny our pain. Instead, I think this psalm is 
encouraging us to continue doing the work that God has put in front of us to do, even as we engage our emotions of sadness or loss. You are here to learn, so value your classes and glean from your professors. You are here to grow in wisdom, so seek it. You are here to develop into more mature women and men of God, so pursue Jesus. You are here to build relationships, so find and make good friendships. If you are studying art, keep creating. If you are studying to be an educator, learn how to teach and inspire students. If you are an English major, continue grappling with words and figuring out what they mean. Keep sowing in the fields that God has given you even as you cry and feel sad or numb or just tired. Because this is what is true. We can bank on the fact that the crops that we have sown through tears will be transformed into golden harvests of joy. And this is true not because we are great at planting, but because another pilgrim once walked the hill to Jerusalem on our behalf. The true Israelite, the man of sorrows, Jesus climbed that hill to Jerusalem with a cross on his back because he loved me and because he loved you. And this is where our tears and our memory collide. Because we remember God's faithfulness in the past and his gracious redemption through the death and resurrection of his son, we can hope that our tearful planting will actually result in joyful reaping. And because he died and then conquered death, once and for all, we can be sure of, that all of the hard and unjust and broken things will one day be made new and whole and good again. In fact, he has already started doing that. He is already at work redeeming all things. Remember those places, remember those moments individually, but perhaps more effectively, remember them communally. As Spurgeon puts it, nothing strengthens faith, faith more effectively than the memory of a previous experience. I don't know when this season of weeping will end, but I do know that as we sit between Eden and the new heavens and the new earth, this will not be the last time that we have to sow as we weep. Will you cry a little more this semester? Probably. <laughs> Do you feel anxious or an overall sense of heaviness and weariness? You are not alone in that. But do you have kingdom work to do? Absolutely. And we can go about that work not with tears of hopeless despair, but with tears of righteous lament, tears that remember God's goodness to us in the past and can count on his faithfulness to us in the future. He makes our sorrows fruitful, and he turns our mourning into dancing. He can and he does bring new life from fallen seeds, even when we've dropped those seeds as we cry. Our labor is not in vain. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Um, thanks for your providence this morning, just in the fact that we sang exactly this truth that our labor is not in vain because you are with us and because you have called us by name we can labor knowing that we will reap one day harvest of joy i pray father that you would strengthen our hands give us the ability to persevere with joy and with hope because of jesus and it's in his name we pray amen